All right. Judges 2, verse 6, we'll begin reading there. The Bible says, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaish. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. And the Lord had said, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Tonight I'm going to preach a sermon uh, entitled this, Let's Reach the Next Generation. Let's reach the next generation. Let's pray. God, I ask tonight as we look at some exciting things our church is going to work very hard at uh, uh, attempting this year, uh, some new ministries that we're hoping to add, uh, Lord, and then some other things that are already going on around here that we're going to seek to do better. I pray that our attitude would be one that looks behind us, Lord, at the generations that are following us, and we can make our church a place for them to want to be. Lord, I fear a day where the average age of our church is in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s, and we just talk about the glory days. And if we're not proactive now, Lord, that very well could happen. And so I ask that you help us to do our part. Help us to come into this message with an open mind and an open heart for what you'll have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, the turn of a new year is a great opportunity to do two things, to look backwards and to look forwards. We're going to look forward in a minute, but let's start by looking backwards at 2017. Um, last year on January 8th, during the evening service, we talked about implementing a new church program. And so, um, some of the things that have been going on, uh, I had to go back and look at those sermon notes to realize, wow, all of those things became part of our church in 2017. Uh, I'm going to start with some of them that might seem a little more trivial and then work into some of the uh, more staple things. In 2017, we in- increased our church fellowships. Uh, the Bible says that brethren to dwell together in unity... It uh, talks about the fellowship of the brethren. We are to get together. We're to enjoy each other's company. We're to get to know each other. Listen, you can't pray for someone if you don't spend time with them and you, you don't you don't eat a burger with them. Amen, guys. Uh, you don't um, uh, have a spa night together, ladies. Whatever it might be, you got to have those things so you can get to know each other a little bit better. And so, 2017, we increased our church fellowships. 
uh, uh, we enjoyed several men's activities. Uh, last year we had a men's rally and we enjoyed bacon burger dogs. Glory, hallelujah. You take, um, uh, you take a hamburger, or rather you take a hot dog, you wrap it in, uh, uh, you take a hot dog, wrap it in hamburger meat and then wrap that in bacon and cook it. And, uh, we had a great time with that. We had skits and singing and preaching. And a little bit later in the year, we had a men's stakeout. We cooked up steaks and had a good time with that. And then uh, uh, toward the end of the summer, we had a camp out where a bunch of us men went out in the middle of the woods with our tents and we uh, sang together and prayed together and we bi- did a Bible study together. We, we ate, uh, ate together, which we're, uh, we're always good at. And, and then uh, we uh, just enjoyed having a good time, did some fishing out there. Ladies, you've had several activities as well. Most recently, you enjoyed your Christmas banquet. Uh, and also, uh, there uh, have been the many, many events that my wife have started on the, uh, I believe it's supposed to be the first Thursday evening of each month. She has called those Be Real, and real is an acrostic, and I don't remember what it stands for, but uh, Be Authentic, Be Real. And uh, so you've enjoyed uh, many activities along those lines. We've also had couples activities. Uh, we had a Valentine's banquet last uh, February, we had a mystery date night, uh, we had our, uh, most recently we went down to Hagerstown and enjoyed a couple's retreat at another church down there, and so we have in, uh, in 2017 we added to the church fellowships, but beyond just fellowship, we also uh, looked at some things involving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, several times on Saturday evenings, the auditorium was opened up and many of you gathered here together and prayed for our church and prayed for each other. And, uh, and what a great time of, uh, of doing that it was. And you, you will not really know the Holy Spirit's control in your heart unless you're willing to get down on your knees and have serious prolonged prayer time. On top of that, we had a missions conference last March. We've got another one scheduled this March and we got to know some of our missionaries a lot better. Brother Esposito and our missionary up in Canada, Toronto, Canada. And we had a, another missionary or two here. And then in the fall, we had our revival with Pastor Curtis King, and so we've had um, a great time with the fullness of the Spirit. But beyond that, we've also looked at how to how we can further the gospel. We had a Easter or resurrection drama and a Christmas drama in 2017, and I believe we we had ten people raise their hand for salvation during the Christmas drama between the two, and we had close to that, if not a little more than that, uh, somewhere in that area for the resurrection drama. So, uh, close, over well over twenty people being saved right here in the auditorium uh, because of uh, those. Uh, presentations and uh, those things happening. We also had a Sunday School Workers Conference and we restructured our Sunday School in 2017. And we went from just a couple of adult classes to where every single room in the building has a Sunday School class in it. And it's just, it's it's been really neat to see how our Sunday school attendance has gone from about 50 to 60 on Sunday mornings to well over 100 people coming on an average basis on a Sunday morning. We've also implemented a Tuesday evening outreach and visitation night where several of you cook for that. We have several of you that watch the nursery for that. And we've had many, many people who have been saved on Tuesday nights. We've had many, many people who have been followed up on and are now actively attending our church because of our Tuesday evening outreach and visitation program. And then, as you just saw the, the fruit of it, we had our inaugural Soul Winners Club class with Brother Verone teaching that on Wednesday nights. And several of you sat through and learned uh, exactly how to take a Bible and show somebody how they can know they're going to heaven when they die. 
And that thought might terrify you, but when you learn how to do it, it's not really that terrifying anymore. And so we started that ministry, and many of these are still in the infant stages. They're still growing, they're still coming about, but all of that began in 2017. Prior to January of 2017, many of these things were not part of the spiritual life of this church family. It's been neat to see in 12 months what's been implemented in the future of those things. Um, on top of all this, we raised $32,000 to purchase three new buses for our church. So, what an exciting year 2017 was. I believe that 2017 laid the groundwork um, uh, so that we can really begin to see God do wonderful things through our church into the community in 2018. So, what does God have in store for us this year? I believe that this is a year where we take a close look at our church And ask ourselves, are we future-proofing our church? Are we future-proofing our church? Now, the children today, you've probably heard the statement of church before, right? The children today will be the church leaders of tomorrow. Maybe. Right? The children today might be the church leaders tomorrow. The children today possibly won't be in church tomorrow. Now, I've watched, um, as I have grown up, I was privileged and blessed to be in many aggressive, growing churches. From the time I was a little tyke, I've been in some churches that weren't aggressively growing, but most of them have been. But I'm looking around at my peers, and I'm watching as they're just graduating high school and tanking out of church. Happens a lot. And it seems like it's even worse now with the kids graduating than it was when I graduated high school back in 2002. Um, The sermon tonight will introduce some exciting plans and some potential new ministry opportunities. Everything introduced tonight will fit under the canopy of reaching the millennials and the generations behind them as well. I believe that one of the great sins, hear what I'm about to say right here, because this is really going to lay the groundwork for the message. One of the great sins found in the Bible is a neglect to properly prepare the generations to come so that they can adequately have a strong relationship with their God. One of the greatest sins of the Bible. I propose that same sin on some levels is beginning to rear its ugly head in our church. We must be proactive in preparing tomorrow's generation today. We must be proactive in making our church desirable for a young couple in their 20s or a single adult in their 20s or 30s or teenagers visiting. We must make our church attractive to them. Now, let me just take the air out of the room and put everybody at ease. Um, I am not about compromising things that are uh, and bringing sin in the church for growth. That's not at all on the table. That's not at all to be considered. But I've got to say that us Baptists, sometimes we can be a little uh, 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 hypocritical or pharisaical. We'll point to something like the Catholic Church and say, well, they're just blinded by their traditions and their rituals. And we need the Bible. But us Baptists, we have our traditions and rituals. 
And if someone steps on one, we can squeal just as loud as they do. Now, I've been saying this for months, and I'm going to repeat it again here. I am a biblicist. So if it's in the Bible, we need to follow it. But if it's not in the Bible, we don't need to hold it up on the same level as the Bible. Alright? I'm going to say more about that in a minute. Let's look at four main thoughts tonight as we seek to catch a vision for today's young adults and the children and the teens of our church and our community and beyond. Let's jump in tonight. Number one, let's look at cycles. Cycles. Flip back with me, if you will, a page or two in your Bibles to Judges chapter 24. You're in Josh, uh, Ju- uh, rather Joshua 24. You're in Judges 2. Turn back over to Joshua 24. And uh, Judges 2 is referring back to Joshua 24. But look with me at verse number 15. Uh, Joshua has led the Israelites out of the desert, across the Jordan River, uh, up to Jericho. They've taken over Jericho. After a little slip-up, they took over Ai. And then on through, marching through uh, God's promised land to them, the Canaan land, they took it over, they set up shop, uh, they uh, populated it, they divided the land amongst themselves. Joshua now is old, he's uh, approaching his death, and so he calls all of the Israelites back. Every Israelite is called out of the towns and, and the cities and gathered uh, one last time so Joshua can address them before he dies. Look at verse 15. He says there to them, part of his speech, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other sides of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Joshua was getting ready to pass away, and so he challenged the Israelites, hey, go serve the Lord. Now, what was the great success of this generation? They did it. They did it. They kept their word. They looked at Joshua and they said, we will not serve the the gods on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites. We will serve Jehovah. We will serve our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Back in Judges chapter 2, uh, we find, uh, we find uh, the report of that and how that was held true. Look back at verse 10 where we read a few minutes ago. And I'm going to make a, a strong point here. It says, And also all that generations were gathered unto their fathers. That's the generations of Joshua. The verse before that, verse 9, tells us that they obeyed. They followed the Lord. They were faithful to Him. So what was the generational, generational success? They kept their word. What was their generational failure? They did not reach the next generation. Verse 10 might be one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. And also all the generations were gathered into their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, we see a cycle here. We're talking about cycles. And as far as the book of Judges goes, this was the first of many cycles. While many generations would learn to serve God... They would have to all learn the hard way. They'd all have to learn through the school of hard knocks. And 
uh, in part, they had to do this because their hearts were not reached and connected to God by their parents and their parents' generation. So what was the cycle that the Israelites experienced in the book of Judges? Uh, you saw this here, right? You have godliness, and then the next generation is not very well trained by their parents, and so they grow up and they neglect the God of their parents because it's not their God. And so they choose sin and they choose to rebel against God. And God says, okay, you're going to rebel against me, then uh, you're going to go into slavery. And so some country would come in there in the book of Judges and capture them up and carry them away out of their homeland. And they're in slavery. They would think back to their uh, their years as a child where maybe they sang some spiritual songs or they heard about the old miracles and they would get down on their knees and there would be that repentance. So you have sin and rebellion, then you have God sending slavery, and then repentance, and then in their repentance, God would raise up someone among them to deliver them, and there would be that deliverance, and then that generation, that generation would serve God. But then when they began to die off, the following generation, or two generations removed, would neglect God again. Cycles. Cycles. By the way, I see cycles taking place in our country. 1630s, there was uh, the people moving over here because of religious oppression in Europe. By the time we get to the late 1700s, now all of a sudden we need a great revival. That's that Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God revival, I believe. That's been labeled by historians as the first great awakening. 1830s, 100 years removed, they have cycled away And they're falling into sin. Second Great Awakening. 1930s. 1930s. Billy Sunday stands up and he says, booze is a sin. And he just preaches hard against sin and and preaches hard for righteousness. And America comes back to God again. Could it be that the 2030s, the 20s, the 30s, could be the time where America is brought back to God? Because I'll tell you this, she sure needs it. She sure needs it. Cycles. Cycles. We need to do our part. This is foundational to the message tonight. We need to do our part to make sure that we reach behind us to the generations that are following us and we attach them to the Lord. And we have a church atmosphere that draws them in. I want to be able to walk up to a 25-year-old and hand him a gospel track and him look at that and go, you know what, that's first class. I think I'm going to check out their church. I want him to walk in our building and go, that's a first class church. I want to go back to that church. I don't want them to walk in and go, well, that would work well if I was 50. That would work well if I was 60. And again, I'm not talking about bringing sin in the church. I'm talking about making it so that they can come and feel like they stick. Alright, let me move on to number two here. Let's talk about cultures. Cultures. Every generation is guilty of believing that their subculture within their generation is better than everyone else. Alright? So we're going to have a little fun here tonight. Uh, and this is going to involve crowd participation. Okay? Uh, I want you to think back to which generation you were a teenager. 
You might, uh, or rather, which decade? Which decade you were a teenager? You might straddle a decade, but pick one. If you were primarily the 60s and a little bit in the 70s, then pick the 60s. If you're split or on one, then uh, just pick one, okay? How many of you here would say that your prime teen years were in the 1960s? Raise your hand if that was you, the 1960s. All right, let me back up. How about, how about the 1860s? Mike, raise your hand. No, I'm just teasing. Um, 1950s, okay, just a decade back. How many here would say it was the 1970s? 1970s, raise your hand. Very good, okay. How about the 1980s? How many 1980s teens do we have in here? All right, I'm going to raise my hand for the next one. 1990s, 1990s, all right. How about the early 2000s? 2000 to 2010? All right, we got several of you. Some of you are raising here. You're not even teenagers yet. Knock it off. All right, uh, 2010 to 2017. If you're or 18, if you're currently a teenager, raise your hand. Okay, very good. All right, so we're going to uh, we're going to play. We're going to do something here. I want to ask you, and I'm going to ask you to leave sinful things out. All right, I don't want to know who the top hairband was in the 1980s and all that stuff. All right, I want to know uh, non sinful things, kind of what you remember from that culture from that decade. All right, so 1960s. Those of you that were teenagers in the 1960s, someone shout out at me something that was that was a big deal in the 1960s as a teen. What's that? Vietnam. Vietnam. Okay, that was part of 1960s. Right, who else? Roller skating. Roller skating, skating rinks, right? And, uh, 19, respect. respect. <laughs> no more. Um, exactly why we need to connect the next generation into church. Amen. Um, who else? 1960s. I've got a couple others down here. Bell bottoms. What's that? Beehive hairdos, that's right. Boy, there's something about every decade. You look back and go, what was that? (laughs) Such is the case with the beehive hairdos. Um, I have some other things written down here. Bell bottoms, all right, that was a big deal. Incense, Um, um, some of these, I said no sin. I'm going to give you some of the things that fit that culture that were sinful, okay? Long hair on, uh, uh, I mean long hippie type hair, free love and psychedelic rock. Those were all 1960s. All right, how many, how about 1970s? 1970s. Raise your hand again if you're a 1970s teen. All right, help me out here. What were some things that helped identify your, your uh, culture from the 1970s? Platform shoes. Leisure suits. All right. Who else? Judy? Come on now. Mini skirts. That was part of the 1970s. Disco. All right. Did Greece come out in the 70s? Okay, I thought so. John Travolta, right? I don't know if I've ever seen it, but I know that was part of the, the 1970s. Um, what else? Hip huggers? All right, I have some other ones written down here. Jumpsuits, I think you said something similar. Turtlenecks, hot pants, and everything in between. Sage, orange, shag carpet, and lime green kitchens. Does that describe the 1970s pretty well? There's a really neat article online that shows kitchen uh, trends by the decade. And, and they're really fascinating. It goes all the way back from the 1920s all the way up into the current decade. You can look that up online. That's pretty neat. All right, 1980s. How many 80s teams we have here? Several of you. What were some of the things that identified your era? Big hair. Big hair. All right. What else? Yeah, MTV was, became popular in the 1980s. All right, anybody else? What? Huh, what? 
I have Walkmans down. Walkmans were a big deal in the 1980s, right? Uh, was it the 70s or the 80s that you carried the big boombox on your shoulder? Both. All right. Uh, and then, you know, the guys down at the basketball court had their big old boombox. They just sat there and... The, the, uh, the Atari came around in the 1980s, right? What's that? Commodore 64. All right, how about uh, slap bracelets? Were those around in the 1980s? You know, you, you do that. Or is that the 90s? I might be off on that one. Uh, how about the Reading Rainbow? You guys remember the Reading Rainbow? Am I, now, am I getting in the 90s? I think that may have been late 80s. All right, how about the 90s? What were some 90, 90 kids? That would be my era. All right, help me out, guys. Help me out, gals. 1990s, what were some cultural things there? What's that? Flannel. All right, flannel shirts. Those are still kind of lingering around. Got a bunch of people jumping in here. Nickelodeon. How many of you remember the show Double Dare? With Mark Summers, I think. That was a big deal when I was a teenager. Um, we talk about slap bracelets. Uh, Dial-up internet. You remember the, you remember that? How about pagers? Remember pagers? How about star 69? You remember star 69? You may want to make a long distance call that helped make it a little bit cheaper. All the Y2K talk. Remember all that? All oh, the world's gonna end in 2000! How about beanie babies? That was a big deal in the 1990s. Anybody here getting the whole beanie baby craze? Some of those things got super expensive. All right. I remember people, uh, I remember where I was living during this time, but in, in, down in Alabama, they had like an old train station they converted into like a general store. And man, when they announced they were going to have new Beanie Babies, there was a line like a mile long, an hour before the store opened. It was nuts. Um, the introduction of the Furby. That was the 90s. Uh, those things are demonically possessed. I really believe that. <laughs> and maybe my favorite nostalgic sentimental memory of the 1990s was blowing into a Nintendo cartridge. <laughs> right? 1990s. Uh, how about the 2000s culture? I'm talking 2000 to 2010. Anybody? Texting? Texting kind of became a thing then. That was when you had to do the hit the number two button three times to get the C in there, right? Back before they had the touch screens. Um, flip-flops were really big in the 2000s. Uh, iPods, changing over to iPhones, that was big in the 2000s. Apple really became a hip, hot item. Pokemon became huge in the 2000s. So, why did I do that? I did that to say this. Everybody cheers for when they, for the time, the era that they are most familiar with. The truth is that some of these things carry moral value, but most of them don't. Most of them don't. Um, if we are honest, most of us don't want to accept things that are different. And the only reason is, is because they are different. So what about church culture? What about church culture? The 1960s through the 1990s saw a church culture in the independent Baptist world that was Fast growing. I knew, I know this because I grew up in it. I grew up in it. 
And there was a style, there was a way things were done, and man, people were all in on independent Baptist churches. In fact, in 38 of the 50 states, at one point, the largest church in those states was an independent Baptist church. It was working. It was working. Um, I know some preachers around the country, they want to continue to say, Give me the old paths. But when they say old paths, what they mean is the 1990s and the 1980s. The old paths is 2,000 years ago when the Bible was written. That's the old paths. Um, there are people who will look at changes in church and they will fight it. And I've got to say this, that we need watchdogs in this church. God has given us four solid deacons in this church. And he's given us a handful of other men in this church that have been here for 20, 30, 40 years. And I rely on them. I trust them. I respect their opinions. I deeply and greatly value their opinions. You can ask all of our deacons to a man. They probably think some of the things I take to them in our deacons meetings is petty and minor. That things I probably shouldn't take to them, but I take it to them because one, I know my age. And two, I know I still am new. And three, I'm still trying to gain their trust. I trust them. I trust them. Here's where I'm going with this. Just because it worked in 1990 doesn't mean it works today. By the way, the churches in the 1990s did things different than Paul and Peter did when the church was first established. Why is it okay for them to revolutionize church for the 90s, but preachers like me not to revolutionize church for 2020, which we're coming up on? I'm not talking about bringing sin into the church. I'm not talking about violating biblical principles. I'm talking about uh, getting strong counsel from the old guard in this church that have been here a long time and making sure they understand what we're doing. But I'm also talking about looking at some structural things that we do here and saying we need to bring it along to fit the culture of the millennials and younger so that they will fit in our church. Specifically, I'm not talking about putting a rock band on our platform so we can entertain people into the church. Let me just be clear here. As long as I'm the pastor, there will be no rock band in this church. There will be no drums on these, this platform. It's not going to happen. I, I have strong, strong standards when it comes to music, and that's not going to happen. Now, the 60s, uh, uh, however, let me just say this, clothing, clothing changes, so does the way the next generation dresses for church. Are you say, Pastor, are you trying to get out of wearing a tie? Uh, at the church on Sunday? I'm not. I, as far as I know, the, the immediate future, the, even the foreseeable future, I'm going to dress just like this every time I preach in church. There are some preacher friends of mine that don't wear a tie to church when they preach. I am not going to be so shallow to look at a guy who doesn't wear a tie when he preaches and goes, Oh, he's a stinking, compromising liberal. Just because he doesn't have a tie on. Because you know what the Bible says about wearing a tie. It doesn't say anything about wearing a tie. You know what that's steeped in? Traditionalism. Traditionalism. Now, I think we ought to put on our best when we come to church. I really do. However, I'm not going to look down on someone who doesn't. 
Somebody comes, they're dressed a little more casual. I am thankful to God they are here, and I hope they keep coming, and I am not going to make them feel the least bit bad because they're not dressed just like I am, and they're not dressed like American culture dictated 20, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago. Um, kitchen, kitchen designs change, so does the decorating of a church building. He, uh, this year, we're going to get in this in the fourth point of the sermon, but this year... Uh, we're going to be hope, hopefully ra- uh, raising some money through some special offerings to modernize our buildings. To be frank, portions of our buildings look like they're stuck in the 1990s or older. And listen, you ought not pick a church because of the condition of the building. You ought to pick a church because the Bible's preached. I understand that and you understand that. But there will be people who visit our church. They're much more shallow than that. They are going to pick a church. And listen, they don't have the spiritual depth that maybe you have, and so they'll visit here, and then they'll go visit another church that uh, their doctrine's off, but their facilities are not nicer, and they'll stick. And what if we had facilities that would have kept them here originally, and now they're growing, and they're understanding the Word of God, and they're not totally deceived. Music evolves, or in some case, not so much. So does church music. Now hear me, I don't want anybody to misconstrue anything I'm saying. And so if you think you're hearing me say something a certain way that rubs you the wrong way, get the CD, listen to it again, and make very sure you don't go out of here and misquote me. Alright? I want everyone to understand what I'm saying here. I love the hymns. I love the hymns. I have no plans of getting rid of our hymn books. No plans. I love how great thou art. I love nothing but the blood. I love uh, uh, I, I love all of them in here. Amazing Grace. I love the hymnals. I, I shouldn't say all of them. I love the ones I know in here. All right. Wonderful Grace of Jesus. There's plenty in there I don't know. But there are still other songs that are coming around in the Christian world that could be sung in our church. Um, Ephesians five talks about being filled with the Spirit. It lists three things: Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I can make a really strong case to our church that we're not really following Ephesians 5.19 in our church. Because we're only singing hymns. That's one of three categories. What about the Psalms? Or Scripture songs? What about spiritual songs? Spiritual songs that maybe are more chorus-like, but they're not found in the hymnal. This year, uh, at some point, we're going to be putting a uh, chorus book in your pew. And that chorus book will have in it uh, some uh, worship-type songs. And when I say worship, I don't mean worship like like uh, the charismatics that put their hands in the air and, and their eyes roll back in their head, all right? Don't be afraid of that word. If you come here long enough, you know kind of where I stand on that. But songs like, I love you, Lord, and as the deer panteth for the water brook, songs of that flavor in there, that will be half of that book. The other half are going to have Scripture songs. Uh, we're working on compiling all the music for that. These are things we can do to help connect the next generation into our church. Again, we're not talking about compromising and bringing sin in. But listen, we ought to be willing to compromise some traditions that aren't in the Bible if that helps reach the next generation and attach them into our church. Now, um, there are three attitudes older people have toward younger people's cultures. If you're taking notes, let me encourage you to write these down. The first attitude is they embrace them and try to fit in with them. Sometimes they try too hard. Um, 
My mom used to say to me, cool your jets. And I look at her and say, huh? Just didn't fit. That was from the, that was from her generation. It didn't fit with mine. But they'll look at, uh, the, by the way, generally, uh, I'm just, uh, my understanding of human culture, we look at our, we look at our culture and then the culture of those that are older than us and we admire it. And then we look back or we look at the people younger us in their culture and we go, ah, those kids. Those kids, back in my day, they've been saying that probably since humanity was created. Boy, the kids of this day, they just don't know how to behave. That's been going on forever. What is that? That is a verbal expression of disrespect toward the culture of those that are younger than you. Don't be guilty of that. Don't be guilty of that. Now, there are parts of every culture that are not good. For all of you uh, people that want to look at the kids today and say, they're just so disrespectful. How about the pot-smoking Volkswagen van 70s? They were respectful? How about the acid rock ACDC of the 80s? Oh, they were respectful? Metallica. They were respectful? Listen, sin has been in the heart of people forever. And at some point, we have to quit throwing stones at people that are younger than us and say, they just don't know how to behave. There are parts of their culture we're going to have to learn to accept and embrace. So the first attitude people have, and probably, the uh, uh, well, one of the best is they embrace and they even try to fit into it. The second type is they accept them, but they don't join in. And that's okay. But then there's the third one, and I believe this is where the majority of people fit in. They outright reject them. They just outright reject them. And so the pastor wants to bring in songs that were written uh, after 1851, and we go, we're compromising. No, we're not. No, we're not. By the way, this chorus book, my plan is to have our deacons sit down with the list and help us vet the list. And so you think, pastor's only 34, he's taking our church in a dangerous direction. No, no, no. I have older men, older council, they will help us get this set up in a good spot. All right. Everybody here, what I'm about to say, I do not want to bring sin into the church. There are some clothing styles that do not belong in church because they violate Scripture. There is a whole lot of fake Christian music out there that violates God's structure and order for music and that does not belong in our church. However, just because a song was written in the last few years and you are unfamiliar with it, does not make it sin. Let me talk about technology for a minute. Every, at every turn, um, people, uh, at every turn where change has been brought into the church, there has been bucking and fighting and claim of compromise. Let me give you an example. When the piano, the piano was introduced into the church back a long, long time ago, do you know it created quite a stir in the church movement? You know what the complaint was? You're bringing that bar room instrument into the church building? How dare you defile our church building with an instrument that's played in a bar? And you know what? Now, if you have a piano in your church and that's it, you're like super conservative. No one fights that anymore. No one fights anymore. I, uh, we put the words up on the screen to our opening songs chorus. After we've shaken hands. How many of you noticed that today? Alright, why did we do that? Is it because pastor is going the way of Rick Warren? No, 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 no. 
Pastor's not becoming like the Saddleback Movement, okay? Why do we do that? I want you to put your thinking cap on, and I want you to stop thinking like a church member that's been sitting in the same pew for 30 years, that gets grouchy every time someone takes your seat, and think about somebody who's coming in for the first time, okay? They pick up that hymnal. Everybody take the hymnal out with me. Just open any random song. A song that's got three or four verses to it. Do you know if you've never gone to church, I'm on uh, 239, it doesn't really matter, page number. If you've never gone to church and you don't know much about music, can I tell you what this looks like to you? Chinese. You don't know what you're looking at. Alright, this song. Be not dismayed, wherever be tied, God will take care of you. Now, you're supposed to skip down to the second stanza. We all know this because we've been doing it. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. But can I tell you what a, a, a new person would do? Be not dismayed, whatever be tied, God will take care of you. And then they skip down. Through days of toil, to the second verse. And they're going, what? That's not what everybody's singing. How many of you had this happen to you the first time you came to our church? Anybody? Alright, we got a couple of hands back here. Well, wait a minute. That, this is super confusing. The idea is that we have people visit our church and that they like our church and that they stay in our church. Now, I'm not planning on taking the hymnals out of the pew, but can I say this? It is not a compromise and it is not unscriptural to put the words to a song up on the screen. That's just a use of technology to help people feel more warm and welcome at our church. I have watched, and again, I have a viewpoint most of you don't have. The choir has this viewpoint. But what happens is someone visits our church and they open the hymnal and they don't know all the hymns. And they sing through the hymnal, and then we, we put our hymnals down to shake hands. And then we come back, and we're singing that chorus again. And those of you that have been in church 25 or 30 years, you know most of the choruses. But what if this was your first time here, and now you're in this awkward spot where everybody's singing and you're not? Well, now the words are on the screen. The hymnal's down, and you can see that. I'm not planning on throwing all the words to every song up on the screen right away, but I've got to tell you, that's the direction we will go in time. And unless you are able to bring me a, a chapter and verse that says that's sin, then we've got to do this so that the next generation coming in, they're a very visual generation. They enjoy the technology, and we need to use the technology to our benefit. Cultures. Number three, let's talk about changes. Changes. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. There's an old phrase out there. It goes like this. If you do what you've always done, if you know it, finish it with me, then you'll get what you've always gotten. Right? If you do what you've always done, then you'll get what you've always gotten. No one, no, by our human nature, nobody likes change. Nobody. However, there is some change that we must be willing to embrace, even if it makes us uncomfortable as long as it does not violate Scripture. All right, Pastor, lay it on us. What changes do you have in mind so that we can be more appealing for the next generation? We talked about the words that will go up on the screen. We've talked about the addition of Scripture songs and spiritual choruses into our church. Uh, the improvement and mod modernization of our facilities. Uh, uh, I'll talk about that more in a moment. And then the next one I want to throw out here, this is a big one. All right, this is a big, big, big deal. 
um, if we're going to reach the next generation, then we've got to train them academically in a way that will help them. And so we are looking at starting, uh, we are praying and planning on starting White Oak Christian Academy in the fall of 2018. Super excited about that. And uh, this is something that I have spent hours and hours and hours in prayer about. And uh, I believe that uh, this is the direction of the Lord to have our church go. And uh, we are in the planning stages. Uh, there were two things that I said that we needed to have before we get it off the ground. The first thing was the right man to lead it. The second one was enough money to open it. All right? So, you know me, I like alliteration. Man and money. Man and money. All right? Um, um, sometime back... I uh, was riding back from uh, uh, Angela's orthodontist appointment down in Maryland, and we were talking about this concept of starting a school and how that we needed the right man. And uh, God brought to my heart and my mind uh, Brother Jay Barone. Brother Jay Barone had been recently laid off. And um, I uh, broached the topic with him on the phone that day, and we just said, well, let's see where it goes. Brother Barone, why don't you come on up? I've asked him to take five, six, seven minutes out of uh, our service here and just share with us the journey that God has took him on and where he's at on that journey right now. Brother Verone. I appreciate that. I want to start out with some, some thoughts, and, I, and I'll stay within the time frame that you've given me. And I thank you, Pastor, for the time. In 1996, 22 years ago, I preached a message using Mark 10, 13 to 16 as my text. And probably all of you are familiar with the account of how people were bringing some children to Jesus so he could touch them. And, and of course, at that point, the disciples, they didn't want Jesus to be bothered by that. That's how they looked at it. And so they rebuked those who brought these children. But Jesus, the Bible says, was much displeased with that. And he said, suffer the little children to come on me and suffer them and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. And verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And so he took them in his arms, the Bible says, and he put his hands upon them and he blessed them. And, and uh, in the introduction to that message all those years ago, I asked those who are present, and I ask you the same thing tonight, to imagine a courtroom scene 174 years ago in America. It's 1844, and you're listening to a case being argued before the United States Supreme Court. This is real. Uh, it seems a certain man had died, leaving a personal fortune of over $7 million to the city of Philadelphia, his hometown. He bequeathed this fortune to the city on the condition that it, it construct an orphanage and a college according to the following stipulations. In his will, he stated, I enjoin and require that no... Ecclesiastical ministry or minister of any sect whatsoever shall ever hold or exercise any station or duty whatsoever in the said college, nor shall any such person ever be admitted for any purpose or as a visitor within the premises. My desire, he said, is that all instructors and teachers in the college shall take pains to instill in the minds of the scholars the purest principles of morality. The case was called Vidal versus Girard, and it was brought by the, execute, uh, the executors, and of course it reached the uh, Supreme Court. In his day, Girard's requirement to exclude men of God and religious training from a school was unprecedented. 
The great Daniel Webster, the defender of the Constitution, and Walter Jones were the lawyers for the plaintiffs who were Gerard's heirs. And Jones argued that the plan, this is a quote, the plan of education proposed is anti-Christian and therefore repugnant to the law. You imagine somebody saying that today? Webster reminded the court that both in the Old and New Testaments, its importance, uh, the religious instructions of youth, he was talking about, uh, is required. In the Old, it is said, thou shalt diligently teach them to thy children. And in the New, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not. He went on to say, no fault can be found with Gerard's uh, for wishing a marble college to bear his name forever, but it is not valuable unless it has a fragrance of Christianity about it. This is before the Supreme Court. Even the attorneys for the city and the state ought to have cut off, quote, cut off the obnoxious clause from Gerard's will. As the city's attorneys explained to the court, religion must be taught at the school, quote, the purest principles of morality are to be taught. Where are they to be found? Whoever searches for them must go to the source from which a Christian man derives his faith, the Bible. This is an obligation to teach what the Bible alone can teach, a pure system of morality. After all the arguments were finished, the unanimous opinion of the Supreme Court of the United States of America Delivered by Justice Joseph Story, sometimes called the father of American jurisprudence. The court first ruled that Gerard's estate could be delivered to the city of Philadelphia, but that the teaching of Christianity could not be excluded from that school. Quote from the ruling, Christianity is not to be maliciously or openly reviled and blasphemed uh, against uh, to the annoyance of believers or to the injury of the public. It is unnecessary for us, however, to consider the establishment of a school or college for the propagation of Judaism or deism or any other form of infidelity. Such a case is not to be presumed to exist in a Christian country. Imagine, Supreme Court, how far we've slid on the slippery slope away from God and the Bible in our education system. I hope you all agree with that statement. When it comes to Christian education, I'm all in. The Bible commands Christians in Jeremiah 10 to learn not the way of the heathen. Now, most of you know, as Pastor mentioned, I've been out of work since October of 2016. That's a year and three or four months. And during my unemployment, I've applied for about 140 positions. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot. And by the way, I was qualified to fill all of those 140 positions. To date, I've had many interviews. Uh, For a host of reasons, I've not received an offer of employment. And from a human perspective, this makes no sense. Considering my background, my education, my experience, and I don't want to go into all that. uh, But it only makes sense in light of the understanding that God can set an open door before a person uh, that no man can shut, but God can also shut a door so that no one can go through them. No man can open. I even had one opportunity where I interviewed for about five months with a particular hospital system. And, 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 and it, I got to the last phase of the interviews and uh, had gone for those interviews last day. And got to the point where all other candidates had been eliminated, and there were many of them. 
and uh, got to the point where they were saying, well, how much money would it take for you to come here? And we were talking, what would you want for benefits? And we were talking all of those things. Uh, uh, the recruiter said, oh, yeah, you're shooing for this job. And, and uh, at this point, as they say, I was the last candidate. Every other candidate was eliminated. I thought for sure, certain that that job was going to come through for me. And after five months of interviewing, I, I was told, no, we're not going to hire you. We're going to start the interview process all over again. And, and folks, I've got to tell you, that just does not happen. It just doesn't. Now, I try not to base decisions of faith on circumstances. Pastor and I talk about this a lot. Because I've seen so many Christians, and how many have been around long enough, you've seen Christians make decisions uh, based on circumstance, and you've watched over time, and, and those circumstances weren't interpreted properly. How many can raise their hand? No, that's true. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, more than I expected. I've made decisions of faith, which I thought were decisions of faith in my life, and found out after I've made them and had to look back and realize I made a foolish choice. And so during this period, Pastor and I talking about it and, and, and my family and I and searching, I, I've been saying, God, I don't want to make a decision. I want you to make the decision because I cannot trust uh, my own mind and my own heart. And so, God, I want you to make the decision. And, and uh, all I can say is after 140 applications, it, it appears to me uh, that God is making a decision. Um, uh, it may be that he just doesn't want me to leave secular work. Excuse me. It may be that he doesn't want me to go into the secular work, but that he wants me to go into the ministry full time. And so Pastor and I started talking about this a few months back. And in, in light of the vision that uh, he has to start a school in the fall of 2008 and, and, and by, by 18. By the way, I, I'm 100% behind him in this. We've talked about it. If there's one person that I think can be successful uh, and, and, and getting this started and, and uh, in terms of doing it right, uh, it's our pastor. I have the utmost confidence uh, in him. Uh, you say, well, he, Brother Jay, he's 34 years old and you have the utmost confidence. Yes, I do. I do. I can follow him. Uh, and I can't think of, well, I can, I can think of few things more important than providing a Christian education for young people. For the very reasons that he already suggested and for many others that he doesn't have time to elaborate on tonight. And I want to do all that I can to help our school be successful. And we're fortunate. I want to say this. I'm embarrassing him a little bit. I hope not. But we're fortunate to have a pastor who has been around Christian education all his life. We really are. He's attended Christian schools all the way from the first day he has attended a school all the way and through all the way through Bible college. His father has been a Christian administrator for many years, and certainly uh, many of the things that his father has experienced, he's been able to see and learn from. Um, he's been able to absorb all those things along the way. Um, God has uniquely qualified him to help us get a school established here at White Oak Baptist Church. I can tell you I trust his judgment and his leadership in this area. Now, without saying much about a past Christian school, many of you were around when we had a Christian school here. Um, it failed. I don't want to go into a lot, but we, some of you know there were some mistakes that were made. I've spoken with Pastor Lejeune and others have. about He won't make those mistakes. 
And so I'll admit, I must admit, for me, uh, it's a little bit scary, perhaps. Uh, may, that's a little bit of a dramatic word, but it's a little, for my family, too, a little un, uh, scary going from uh, uh, the potential of a high-paying job to, uh, uh, to a ministry where there isn't that type of potential. I understand that. I'm, high, I'm reminded, however, that Jesus left his glory to come to earth to be our Savior. I'm no Jesus, but he is our example. Uh, I consider it a great opportunity for me to finish my Christian race in full-time service for the Lord. I don't know how many years God will give me, uh, but I can't think of a, a better thing to do than to train others in that next generation, to build that bridge from, let's say, my generation to that other generation and to leave behind uh, perhaps a little stronger foundation for those who want to serve God and, 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 and propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, to prepare that generation, as Pastor said, to not, not only serve God, but to live godly in, in an ungodly world. So many challenges for our young people today. Uh, and, of course, my family's worried about being poor. You know, <laughs> But I, I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 6, 4 and verse 10, where it says, But, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in affliction, in necessities and distresses, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. And isn't that really what we're supposed to do as Christians? To self-sacrifice of ourselves, to give to others, the benefit of others. And so ultimately, I'm, I'm doing all that I can to leave this decision with God. He is the master, we're the servant. All we're supposed to do is follow the master's will. Now, many of you know I have been interviewing. You ask me almost every Sunday, how is the interview process going? You know, where are you? What's going on? And and some of you know I still have an interview scheduled for January 10th and 11th for a position in Georgia. And I believe this. If God wants me to be the school school administrator, he's going to close that door, too. Uh, That's my belief on this. And so my involvement with that hospital started several months ago. And I talked to Pastor about this. I feel obligated that I have to go and see the, op, the, in, the interview process through because it started before. But let me say this. I, I say this not to be about me. I brought this up as an example because there are many of you here as parents have children who are school age. Uh, and so I wanted to be as transparent as I could be tonight, hoping to encourage you as we start this Christian school, because you too will have decisions to make. Uh, Will you enroll your children here or leave them in a public school or home school or, or whatever school they might be in? And you'll have a lot of questions and, and soul searching. Things like questions and soul searching. I've had to go through this. My family and I, we're doing that. Um, you'll have to sort through all that and make a decision at some point. Just one more minute. And it will take faith and prayer and it'll take some time. My hope is that You will not make the decision on your own, but instead you'll seek God on this. And as I have, seek for him to decide what is best for your children and what he wants you to have, what he wants you to do. And I think if you do that, not only will God direct your path, but he'll provide for our church and for our community the future that he wants for White Oak Baptist Church. Pastor? Thank you, Brother Brown. Um, uh, we're excited about uh, the potential of having him be our school administrator. I'll say I, 
I am, it would, it would lend instant credibility to the school. One thing I will not do uh, with starting a school is I will not attempt to pastor the church and be the school administrator. I can't, I can't do that. Uh, you all have me uh, buzzing around hard enough as it is being a pastor, much less adding that too. So, uh, uh, Brother Verone, we're praying that the Lord will uh, arrange that uh, as it seems like he's doing, where he can be our school administrator. And so uh, if you're here and you have questions about that, we'll have more details coming. But I would ask if you have ch- uh, children, children that are school age, if you will begin praying about the prospect of enrolling uh, them here uh, in the fall of, uh, of uh, this year. Move, move on to our last uh, point of the message here, and I'm going to be very, very brief on this, and it's the word construction. Construction. There are four big financial needs that we will be targeting in 2018, one per quarter. Um, three of them are construction-based, building and grounds improvements. You've noticed on your giving envelopes, those of you that have received those, that there is a capital improvement slot on there. That, that is meant to help us with these construction projects. One of them is going to be, one of these financial uh, big fours is going to be to get the school up and off the ground. We're going to need uh, to have several special offerings and we're going to ask ask some of you to give sacrificially so that we have uh, the the money in order to put into capital to buy desks and chairs and uh, all of the things, uh, chalkboards or uh, whiteboards, all those things. And uh, obviously uh, uh, there are all kinds of other expenses involved. So that will be quarter two's offering. Uh, but uh, the other three, I'm going to give you the first one now, and then we'll work, uh, we'll, we'll unveil what the other ones are as we move along. This quarter, beginning uh, tonight, if you put money into the uh, capital improvement, it's going to go directly toward parking lot repair and a new sign for our church. How many of you realize we need a new parking lot? It's getting rough out there. You can't hardly see the lines uh, to park in, and uh, I've had several people come to the church and uh, met with uh, several contractors, and uh, for all of those, the new sign out front and uh, a parking lot repairs, we're looking at about $20,000 of money that we need to raise, and the target date is to have this money raised by March 25th, so we can begin that in April. So if you want to begin giving now, that's fine. Here's what I'm asking everybody to do with that. Go home and pray and ask what God would have you to give. This is money that is not built into our church budget. This is money that we're asking you to give over the top of your tithe. If you're not tithing, before you give any money toward a parking lot, you first need to put, uh, you first need to get the tithing idea down. Get that down and then you can give over and above uh, uh, to these other projects. But by March 25th, we'd like to have the money raised so that we can move forward. And some of you might say, well, Pastor, I don't have a significant amount of money to donate. Can you make a commitment? Can you write down and make a a 12-month commitment to give toward our parking lot project? And part of us reaching the next generation is having a building that is presentable, uh, having facilities that are presentable so that when people pull up, they feel as though the house of God here has not been neglected. And I don't think the house of God looks neglected, but if we don't make some serious improvements soon, it will begin looking like that uh, in short order. So keep those things in mind. How about it tonight, Christian? Are you committed to reach the next generation? Are you committed to that? Are you committed to acquiesce and give way to some change in order to reach them 
even if you don't totally understand them. My friends, uh, uh, I want, let me just say this in closing. I want White Oak Baptist Church to be a place that if you are 60 and you've grown up in the traditional independent Baptist church from the time you were little all the way up, you can come here and you'll feel at home. That's the goal. I want you to feel at home here. But at the same time, I want someone who's 20 to walk in the door and come here and feel at home, feel like they belong here. That's the balance we're trying to strike. I'm committed. I'm committed to doing this in a way that pleases the Lord. And I need to know that all of you are on board with me so that we can have a vision to reach Stratford and the area beyond with the gospel. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Lord, I do ask tonight that you'd help us as we consider some things. I know that for some folks that maybe are not that familiar with the Baptist culture, some of what was said tonight might seem off, off or odd. Uh, but Lord, those that have been going to this church for a long time, no doubt they understand it. God, we want to do things in a way that pleases you. Lord, you know that my prayer regularly with you is show me what needs to change at White Oak Baptist Church so that we're pleasing you to the max. Because one day, God, we're all going to stand in front of you and give account for our lives. I'll specifically stand before you and give an account for the way I pastored this church. Lord, I want to do that in a way that as though you were here and you were the pastor. And so, Lord, may we do our part to not be godly ourselves, but to also help the generation behind, generations behind us to be godly. I pray that if the school is of you, as it seems so strongly in my heart to be, Lord, that you will uh, continue to just provide and prove and, and make that obvious and evident. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. You know, heads bowed, eyes closed. And if you'd like to come and kneel and pray, maybe you want to pray for the next generation. Maybe you want to pray that God would help you to have a heart that's, uh, that's open and willing to uh, help with that. Uh, uh, just, but let's take some time right now and pray and ask that God would move strongly in our midst.